Who's your all-time favorite player? Who's your all-time favorite team? These are easy questions for all of us in the sports business. But when asked, who is your all-time favorite executive? Who comes to mind? This is Dan Megala, co-founder and partner of Forefront. And we know the answer to that question. And her name is Margaret Midge Donahue. In fact, one of Forefront's five core values is to be like Midge. You won't find Midge on LinkedIn, but you will find her fingerprints in every team office around the world and in everything we aspire to be at Forefront. So in honor of International Women's Day, the incredible ambitions for our client partner, the International Cricket Council, and their vision for the T20 Women's World Cup Final to be the largest women's sporting event in history and Forefront's midge-like teammates internally and externally with our client partners around the world, we're incredibly proud to present this special Forefront podcast with the descendants of our favorite sports executive of all time, Midge Donahue, interviewed by one of Forefront's true innovators and someone Midge would admire, Katie Foglia. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. We're so excited for our Be Like Midge podcast today. I think when looking back at our inspiration and thinking through and reading that the Chicago Cubs president at the time, William Vec, you know, hired Margaret or Midge Donahue as a stenographer in 1919 and then named her as a corporate secretary in 1926. By the 1950s, she was a vice president in the organization. So many inspirations. And so we're really lucky to have some of Midge's relatives in the room here with us today. So maybe to kick things off, could everybody say their name and, and where they're from and then their relation to uh, Midge? Hi, I'm Andrea Manning. Midge was my great aunt and one of her great nieces. I live in Huntley, Illinois. And my mother was one of Midge's nieces, Margaret Manning. Hello, I'm Regina Manning and I live in Huntley, Illinois, which is where Margaret Donahue was born and raised. And I'm a grandniece or great niece. My mother was one of her nieces and lived with um, her during her college years in Chicago. And I am Jean Saha, and I am from Crystal Lake, Illinois. I also am the great niece of Margaret Donahue. My mother was her niece. Perfect. Thank you so much. And I think it's amazing thinking about how close you all are today. And I know. Andrea, when we spoke earlier, earlier, you were saying all of the Donahue siblings were really close throughout their lives. And so having that, that time and all of those memories and experiences with, you know, Aunt Midge, as we'll call her throughout the podcast, but maybe starting with you, Andrea, tell me, you know, a little bit about her and, and maybe one of your favorite memories. Well, I remember, um, I just was telling my cousins that, you know, she had such kindly eyes. We would go down to my grandmother's to visit them because at a certain point the surviving Donahue siblings moved back home to Huntley with and lived with our grandmother and uh, I said we'd come tumbling in the house and making a ruckus and but she was always very keen you know and keenly interested in us I guess I felt and very gentle and self-spoken too it was an interesting way that she had her energy she projected I guess Yes, um, Aunt Ridge, we all knew as children that she was someone very special, that she was very accomplished, but she was so humble so that we, we never really thought that she never acted like she was a, a big shot. She, we, she would, we were very comfortable around her. In fact, 
that's how she got her nickname, Midge. They said that they called her Midge because of her small statue. They said that she was from a small town, but she went from a small town to a big town, a big city executive, and, and that's why they called her Midge. Yeah, I, I remember the fact that she was such a lady, and and yet she could really laugh. She loved to laugh. But I remember being shocked when uh, she showed us showed us her gold pass, and she brought up the fact that she knew Ernie Banks and Billy Williams, and <laughs> I, my jaw just dropped. I was like, this is amazing, <laughs> because, uh, you know, I watched them on TV, and to think that she had, you know, known them, and she had written their contracts and sign their paycheck. So, <laughs> and she was very humble about it. It was just kind of matter of fact how she delivered that news to us, but it was very, you know, I've never forgotten it. And where do you think her passion for baseball and for sports really stemmed from? Do you have any stories or learnings of how she even became involved with the front office of the Cubs? Well, she did play baseball herself as a young woman, and she did go to games before in Chicago before she even knew of this job with the Cubs. And the the story is sort of legendary as as to how, you know, she became connected to the Vec family. She had put a want ad in the paper because her job was given to a World War One veteran that returned from the war, and. She needed a job, so she placed a wand yet. That's what people did in those days, and she forgot to say she wanted to work in the loop. And so she got a call at home when she wasn't at home, and her father took the call and, and said she would definitely be at the interview the next morning, and she announced to her father she didn't want to work at Wrigley Field on the north side of Chicago. She wanted to work in the loop, and he said, I promised Mr. Vec you would go to this interview. So... She obeyed her father and went to the interview, and in fact, she turned down Mr. Vex the first time, but apparently he saw something in her and, and it convinced her to work for him, and she said she was always grateful that she took the job, and I think she loved the game of baseball. She knew she was credited with knowing more about the game of baseball than many executives and people in the industry. In um, Paul Dixon's book, Bill Vex, Baseball's Greatest Maverick, that he said he called her as astute a baseball operator as ever came down the pipe. She has forgotten more baseball in her 40 years with the Cubs than most of the so-called magnets will ever know. That's amazing. I think there's so many lessons that you can learn through baseball and even through Midge. And I love the, the story that you just shared, saying that she just put an ad in the paper. And, and a lot of life, I think, sometimes is answering the call and taking those opportunities. So what else do you think was her real secret to success in addition to putting herself out there and, you know, proactively looking for opportunities and not waiting for them to come? We think that it was her upbringing. Her father, Daniel Donahue, he had a, a real love for education and he believed in education. And he had the children sit around a, a round table every night to do their homework. And he bought a set of history books for the family and he had the kids read and work on these books every night for an hour or so after their homework was done. The family started out living on a farm and after they were not too old, he decided to move the family into town because he wanted the kids to attend the town school, not the rural school. 
And so we think that they had a very good upbringing as far as their education. Another thing we've learned, every Monday morning, the father would make all the kids get up at 4 a.m. to do the laundry. And that was so that the mother didn't have that big job all by herself. He had the kids help as much as they could with the chores. And I think that these things probably help the kids learn uh, how to manage their lives and do a good job at it. I would just add that Midge was the oldest of seven children. There were eight. One died of diphtheria, and there was a special needs child. And so with Midge being the eldest, she was expected to set a good example, and I think she rose to that occasion. So I think a lot was expected of her at a young age, mostly because of the large family and all the work that was involved back in those days. So she was a good manager. We uh, know that even while she was working for the Cubs, she would manage their home. She lived with her adult siblings. Uh, four of the siblings lived together, in first in Chicago and then in Evanston. And although all four of them were professionals, they all had busy lives, working lives, she was the one who managed their home. Every week, she would order all the groceries for the whole week, and she would uh, hire somebody to come and cook for them every day, and she made the decisions in the home. So she probably used all of her talents, you know, in many different ways, and she, she carried those through at her workplace, too, managing the Cubs. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, Midge is really responsible for some of the, you know, most innovative ideas in sports. And so in reading and doing research on Midge, we found out that William Beck actually announced um, at the 1926 Winter uh, League meetings that she was actually taking over as a corporate secretary. And so that really made huge news in terms of her promotion nationally. So I read that the Sporting News ran a story about her, and I think the headline was, she's a baseball boss. And so it's really, it's really interesting to think about, you know, not only her life at home, but also at the office and everything that she did. And so, like I said, one of those kind of revolutionary ideas, there were several of them, um, but one was something that we deal with every single day at Forefront, and that's selling tickets. So specifically, Midge is really known for creating uh, the baseball and across any sport, but she's known for creating the season ticket. And so mm -hmm. I was just curious when you think about some of her innovations and her being really a trailblazer, any thoughts that you have specifically when it comes back to your Aunt Midge? I think growing up, we always heard the story that there was a real problem that the season ticket solved, which was that they had some of their best seats that they had set aside for different VIPs. If both people didn't come to the game, show up, those seats sat empty. You know, that's bad optics, as we know. And so she came up with this solution that it seems, we were just reading about it, it seems that she created, you know, the offering of a package of maybe, you know, three days a week, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday games or something, because she had said she didn't think people would buy 77 tickets at once. I guess I would say, you know, for your listeners or other sports executive, that kind of solution might be as far away as a problem that you're facing right now in your organization. What she came up with was a solution for that immediate problem, but then it was copied within weeks. I mean, I read that and um, I found that in an article that all of the professional teams 
adopted that uh, within two weeks of the Cubs starting it. It was before the 1929 season. When we're talking about trust, it was her job to add up the receipts at the end of the game, every game. And she had to take those receipts to the bank at night alone. She'd, she'd get a cab and she'd take a man with her and they would open the door of the bank for her. The bank would, would already be closed and she'd go there, you know, late at night and they'd open the door and take her in and she'd deliver the receipts for that day's game. So a lot of trust was put in mid. She had, a, like you say, she worked all day in the office with her finger on every little bit. And then at the end of the day, she was delivering the receipts. I remember my mom saying growing up, they would be audited. And only three years was there any difference in the books between how she had tallied everything up. And the difference was like a matter of cents. You know, it was under 50 cents wow. or 30 cents. The other thing I was thinking of is that the season tickets that made all of the teams more viable mm-hmm. to the extent it was copied. And it was a solution not only for Major League Baseball, but it was implemented probably with the Bears and the National Football League, which, again, when we think about the beginnings of these leagues and how everything now, there are these multi-million dollar operations, a lot of it sounds kind of so much by the seat of their pants then. Well, we'll do this. They had all these things they had to cover and scramble around and do it. You know, and that's what it took. But this was a solution that was beyond even professional sports. You know, arts organizations, everyone, you know, who has audiences to attract. Absolutely. I think some of the other innovations that we have read about is she was credited with the concept of selling tickets at, you know, the city's Western Union outlets. And then across Chicago and different urban areas, and then kind of taking it to the next level, really credited with the idea in the 1930s of selling discounted tickets to children under the age of 12, which was truly revolutionary. I think even here at Forefront, teams and leagues we work with, everybody wants to attract children and and kids knowing that they are the future fans. And so thinking about Midge and all of her innovations, um, do you think really her closeness to her family would have helped spark some of those ideas. And let's not forget about Ladies' Day. (laughs) She um, came up with that idea. She wanted to get families into the ballpark. And Mitch was a very classy lady. She loved to wear hats. She always dressed up for work every day. And I think that was a great thing to bring the women in. Absolutely. And so even even thinking ahead um, to International Women's Day and the, and the women's movement in sport, if Midge was with us today, what do you think she would, what advice do you think she would have for the women's sports movement? Or what do you think she would think of kind of what's going on right now? Well, I was thinking about a couple of things. They premiered season tickets in 1929. We were kind of talking about a red something over the weekend about how that innovation withstood even the depression. And I think about the timing of ideas. I don't know how long she might have pitched this or proposed this, but if she had waited even a year, I think it would be a harder sell to say, let's go and set up a business model where people have to pay for a lot of tickets up front, you know, or a number of tickets. I mean, a year later, that might not have been good corporate stewardship or something that you know, that's a tough ask 
in the countries. But because it was adopted so quickly and wildly or widely, it was normal business operation. It was just how they did business and, and they could withstand, you know, there was still a demand for tickets that didn't drop off during the depression. So sometimes I think about innovators and I, I'm sure they live with this every day of the world in their lives, but they've got to advance their ideas. I mean, like timing is everything. <laughs> timing is. <laughs> right. And maybe for some of the rest of us, not an innovator like I'm not, but we have to think too about not putting off the things we want to do. You know, if Midge were with us today, what would she think of the global women's sports movement, knowing that she really was groundbreaking back in 1919 when she was first hired by the Cubs, and now 100 years later, the impact that she doesn't realize that she had had on sports in general, but also the women's sports movement? Well, like we said, she was very humble, <laughs> and she probably would smile and just think that all the time she was doing those things, she never thought she was doing anything greater than just doing her job. And I think she would be very happy to see all the progress of women today and not think that it was anything that you know, had to do with her, that if women are strong and able all on their own, and it would have just happened anyway. And I know she said of the Cubs about their downfall, um, you know, she was asked about that. And she said, well, we fell behind the parade when other teams were cultivating players in the farm on the farm team and paying bonuses, we, we weren't. So I think she would try to be, you know, strategic, definitely, you know, in helping young women achieve the best that they could for their team. She saw the weaknesses where they were, yeah. and I, I would say she may have done, said something, but just didn't go very far. One thing I always think about her is that she didn't really get to watch many games once she started working for the Cubs. It was going on. She could hear the roar of the crowd, but we always kind of felt bad for her. She didn't get to go to many games, and I think she'd enjoy the spectacle of this, of seeing it, because once she was retired, she could use her golden pass, and it would enable her to go to any major league baseball game. But I think this is a wider spectacle she'd really be thrilled about. Absolutely. And I think this podcast, we know, will be heard by sports executives really around the world who are looking to innovate. So, you know, what advice would you have for anyone of how they could be like Midge in their jobs day to day? Well, she started at the ground, you know, in a very entry-level level position. And I, I think in a lot of things, it's good to be well-rounded. I know my son's college believed in a core curriculum, and I, I always thought that was excellent. And I think we can all learn things from each other. She was loyal, too. She worked for many, many years and stayed with the Cubs, and she worked hard for them all week long and then the weekends, too. But another thing that we haven't brought up about Mitch, and I think we should, is her personality. She was very cheerful. Even though she was hardworking and hardcore in some of her business ventures, in fact, I remember a story told that when children were lost at the ballpark, they were always taken to Aunt Midge's office to wait for their parents to show up. They'd be announcing over the loudspeaker that there was a lost child and 
the parents, she'd she had a box of toys in her office, and she'd entertain the kids until their parents came for them. So she had a lot of wonderful qualities about her. You know, I was thinking how one of your company's models is be like Midge and kind of like be like Mike. <laughs> you know, there are feet on the playing field, and then there are feet are required you know, on the operation side of the house, too. And uh, she had, like, maybe the original slam dunk, you know, with some of her innovations, you know, that could go for all professional sports. One of the most amazing things that we learned was that Midge was actually honored with the Margaret Donahue Park, and that's on School Street, a couple blocks south of Southport, actually, in the Lakeview neighborhood. And so we'd love any kind of reactions or what it was like when you found out that the Cubs were honoring Midge's legacy by gifting the family a playground. It's one of the really miraculous things that has happened for our family in the last, you know, eight or nine years. We're very grateful to the Ricketts, who were fairly new to Chicago and new owners of the team. And we had, Regina had actually found a book by Paul Dixon, the Bill Beck Baseball's Greatest Maverick. We were never consulted and about this book, and yet there was a lot of interesting facts about Midge and historical things that, you know, we we were learning about, you know, as we read this book. And we just decided as a family that maybe there should at least be a plaque at Wrigley Field or something, you know, just given that Mr. Dixon, you know, really highlighted the fact that she initiated season tickets and knew more baseball than any other great magnets. And, and, and in fact, when Mr. Beck Sr. passed away suddenly, an author noticed that she was at the head of the casket with the family, and more than one sports writer noted that she should be considered to be the next president or the next yeah, president of the Cubs. So, you know, she had already attained that kind of legitimacy, you know, in the a man's world of, you know, baseball. <laughs> So we were very moved by this, and we wrote a letter to the Ricketts and kind of just cited some of these things, and it wasn't long before we received a very wonderful letter from Tom Ricketts, and Laura Ricketts recorded a video about our Aunt Midge, and their attorney started working with us, you know, as far as what could be done and what we wanted to do or what would be, you know, what we think would be a fitting, you know, tribute. And so then the park was announced, and our mothers got to sing at a game. They had a Margaret Donahue Day at Wrigley Field, and the Golden Girls, as one of my coworkers called them, <laughs> they were all in their 80s or close to it. So, yeah, it was a wonderful thing because my mom and my two aunts was, are the only descendants because my grandmother was the only one out of these seven children that got married. So it was a very special thing. For the 100-year celebration of Wrigley Field, they were going to have 10 homestands in 10 decades. So for the first decade, the 1920s, that's when they invited our moms to come in and sing. So we took a whole busload of people in. They gave us a tour. And when we went to visit them in their offices, that's when they showed us their, the plans for this park. And, you know, we were just blown away. I mean, really, we wrote to them to help the Ricketts recover this piece of, of Chicago Cubs history that they might not have known about. And at the time, we found out later that someone had given Tom Ricketts also a copy of the Paul Dixon book. So he got it from two, two ways. But regardless, so then a year later, 
in 2014. No, no, no. I'm sorry. We wrote to them in 2013. And 2014 was the premiere of the park. I think the groundbreaking was later in 2014. And then in 2015, this beautiful park was done. And really the touching thing about it is that it was at a time when, again, talking about the timing of things, when all our moms could still travel into the city and visit the park and appreciate the the recognition that they were paying to her, to our Aunt Midge, but really to the the Hemmer daughters. They were the only nieces. They were really doted on by all of the Donahue's, Midge and everybody, and did so much for our family. So because our, our mothers lost their father during the Depression, so you know, again, Midge really helped out with you know whatever she could in terms of clothing and. And Midge um, was a very generous person. Um, She and her siblings saw that the three nieces all got a college education if they wanted to. I I know my mother and Regina's mother uh, went in and lived with them while they both attended Mundelein College. And that was a great opportunity for them to have that room and board all paid for, living with the Donahue's so that they could go to college. So that was another thing that they did for them that was so nice. It's incredible, really, when you think about it and the importance of education. And like you said, really, she was a very hard worker, very humble. And so all of these things, as you've shared, has led to her success and then ability to move up and, and innovate as well. And so I think even as a last question, a lot of people just like me and everyone on our team at Forefront are really inspired and awed by Midge. So what's one word, if we, if you had to pick just one that you would use to describe her? And I think all of your responses together, all of those words will help us understand some of the, the core qualities of how we can all be like Midge. Dedication. That pretty much captures the gamut of her responsibilities and <laughs> what it took, you know, to do her job and stay on top of all of these moving pieces, you know, of all of these games and you have a new audience or a new new people coming every day after day after day. It's recreated every day. I, I would say dependable. I think she I think that's what she grew up feeling in her family. That and she could be dependent upon. I love that. Dignity, dedication, dependable. I think these are all some amazing words that we can all take in our day-to-day to help inspire us to be more like Midge. Thank you, Katie and Midge's nieces, Andrea, Regina, and Jean, for an incredible look into our favorite sports exec of all time, Midge Donahue. Please join Forefront in celebrating Midge and her legacy by sharing a story of a colleague in the industry you admire on social using the hashtag BeLikeMidge.